Hello, and welcome to Hope Church. We're a local church with chill style, real faith, and no perfect people allowed. Thanks for checking out our podcast. This is a message from our SoCal location in the Santa Cruz, California area. We hope this message is encouraging. If you live near either of our locations, we'd love to have you join us for one of our many Sunday services. Hey, good morning, you guys. Yeah, welcome, welcome to church this morning. Um, we're gonna we're gonna be reading in our Bibles together. We're um, we're in Matthew chapter six. Um, there's gonna po- come a point pretty early on where where we're gonna read together. So just to prepare you well in advance, if you have a Bible and if you or if you have uh, a device that you have the Bible app on, um, you might want to go to Matthew chapter six. We're gonna be we're gonna read the Lord's prayer together today. It'll be really really cool. We're gonna do that in just a few minutes. So just want to prepare you well in advance so I didn't sneak up on you. I was just noticing. As I turn in the Bible here, uh, this is what happens when you share a Bible with your wife. Here's a bookmark that says Mom Boss. <laughs> I, don't, I don't even know what that means, but <clears throat> there it is. So I'd share that with you. Yeah, that, that's, that's my life right there. Um, <clears throat> uh, if you, uh, have, you, have you heard this, this Indian proverb? Uh, not, uh, not like Native America. This comes from India. It's a proverb. It's, it goes in the form of a story, and it's about... Uh, I think it's seven, seven blind men. Maybe it's five, five or seven. Anyway, there's some number of blind men, and they're walking down the road, and they come upon an elephant. Have you heard this? They come upon an elephant, and they all they reach out and they touch it, and they begin. Each one begins to describe what he's seeing. He says, the first one says, "Brothers, this this animal, it's very much like the trunk of a tree." While he's feeling the leg of the elephant, of the elephant, right? And the, and another one says, "No, no, brothers, this this animal, it's very much like." like a, a, a length of rope. Well, he's got a hold of his tail. And it goes on like this, right? Another one says, no, no, it's like a very, it's like a, a crafty snake and he's feeling the trunk and so on and so forth. Most people, you know, when you hear that, that has anyone heard that proverb before? When you hear that, usually people are trying to make some kind of point like this, like, you know, we all just kind of see and feel the things that we see and feel and, and we're better if we kind of collectively put our opinions about things together. Some kind of thing like that. That's, that's our westernized version of it. We totally miss the point of it because we never tell the end of the Indian proverb, which says that there's a man, a, a wealthy man, up on a balcony of a house looking down, and he can see the whole elephant. And in the Indian proverb, then you go, that's, that's God. He can see everything, and we just see a little bit. Um, that's, that's actually how the proverb goes. But I, I think even that is probably wrong. I think, um, I think in fact, that... Uh, you know, as we look at this, this passage in Matthew, this Sermon on the Mount, what you begin to see is a Jesus that is describing God in a way that we're, we're, we're actually the elephant. The elephant is God, and Jesus is the man in the balcony, and he has the perfect perspective. And he's, what he's doing is he's redescribing, redefining who God is uh, to a bunch of people who are just trying to figure things out. That's us. That's our role is we're just trying to figure things out. And, and what we're doing today is we're asking this question, how do you see God? How, how do you, when you, when you think about the person of God and your relationship with him, if you have one, um, how do you see him? How do you view God? Does your relationship with God uh, and how you view him, does it affect how you pray? We're going we're gonna to kind of open up the word and, and ask these questions. Um, and I think what we see when we read this Sermon on the Mount that we're, we're studying right now is that Jesus spends a bunch of his ministry redefining how the people that would follow him would see God. And so we're going to let Jesus define how we see God this morning. 
Um, I want to show you a picture um, uh, that I brought with me. This is, uh, well, a little blurry, but that's the inside of my house right now. Uh, we, we have this, we have a very old house. It's 150 years old, and the bathroom was really old and funky when we moved in and just got older and funkier <laughs> as I lived in it. And, you know, it was leaking, and it was messed up, and, like, it was funky. So I tore it all out. I tore the bathroom all out down to the studs, not by myself. I had some, some help. We tore it all down. And so what you're seeing is the, the, the studs there, the, the wood that holds up the house is actually redwood. No one builds with redwood anymore. It's too expensive. But back 150 years ago, it was very cheap. And so inside the walls, like, I found some things that were very surprising. Now, when you say you found surprising things inside the walls of a 150-year-old house, I've told this story a couple times to people. People always go, would you find a skeleton? No, you would have read about that on the news if I found a skeleton in, the, in my house, you know. Um, no, uh, the next question is always, did you find stacks of money? No, that would have been really cool, but no, no money. What I did find, uh, maybe this was surprising to me and not to you, but it's really surprising. I found so many cobwebs inside the walls. Like, it's a spider house. It's, it's like full of cobwebs, all, the, all these walls. Here, here's what's surprising to me about that is, what are these spiders catching inside the walls? Like, have you ever, have you ever like, listened at the wall and heard flies buzzing around inside the sheetrock? No, because there's no flies inside the walls of the house. So think about that. These spiders, you know, they hatch from little eggs. Let's try not to think about it too much. There's some, yeah. I have some pretty, I, have, I, I would say I have moderate arachnophobia. You know, these spiders hatch, they, they begin their life inside the walls of, of, of my house and they start spinning their webs because that's what spiders do, right? They're spinning their webs. Why do spiders spin webs? To catch flies, to catch food, right? That's why they're spinning the webs in the first place. How many flies are flying around in there? Zero. So what are they doing spinning all these webs in the walls? I was like pulling down the walls and finding all these cobwebs and I was thinking about how purposeless that was. These, these spiders lived and died inside my walls and never caught a thing. How sad that is. And I, you know, I was contemplating that, and I was thinking about the way that we build kind of religious culture around, um, around our beliefs. We, we, we take the way that God has shaped us, and we, we build all of these things, and somehow we miss the point of it all if we don't know who God really is, right? So we're, we're in a series right now called Found in the Way. That was a lot of spider talk to begin the message this morning. Um, if you're afraid of spiders, I'm, I'm very sorry that... I should have rethought that, actually. Uh, we're in this series called Found in the Way, where we're, we're studying the, the greatest sermon ever preached by anyone, um, and it's the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus preaches this sermon in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, and we started this at the beginning of the year. We're in chapter 6 now, and this is Jesus' master class um, introducing us to the kingdom and his ways, hence found in the way. We want to be a people found in the way. In the last couple weeks, we heard from Barney, and then we heard from Tim, um, as what happens at the beginning of chapter 6 is Jesus deconstructs religion right in front of the Pharisees, the religious leaders. He deconstructs their religion and their religious paradigm. He, he takes it all apart. He talked about, about giving and generosity, and he talked about uh, prayer in public ways, and he takes apart the things that they were doing, and now he's about to put something in its place. And what he says is when you, when you give and when you pray and when you fast, when you, when you do these things, don't be like 
And he says, these religious types, right to their faces, so bold, so, so bold. He says, don't be like these. They're just going through the motions to be seen. They already have what they are desiring, which is recognition. And this is kind of, this is, this is what we do too. This is what people in Christian cultures do. We build things. We posture ourselves so that we would be seen as being something. That's just like spiders spinning silk inside of a wall. There's, it's purposeless unless we know who the real God is. Now Jesus gets to the point where he tells us, he tells us how to pray. So he deconstructed, and now he's going to tell us, he's going to fill in the blank and tell us how to pray. And here's, one, here's something that I want us to remember as we read this prayer, that it's not a formula. It's not a formula he's giving. It's a format. You know the difference between a formula and a format? If you, a formula is like a recipe. You know, if you crack open a, does anybody like to cook at all? You, you, you follow a recipe or do you just wing it? I wing it. I, I just, I go in there and I just make stuff up. But there's people that like to follow a recipe, and the recipe will tell you, it tells you, gather these things. I want you to do this before you do that. Put in one teaspoon of this, not one and a half, right? There's no experimentation here. It's a formula, and you follow the formula. A format would be like if I said, here's the kitchen. There's a lot of cooking stuff in there. There's elements. Make something amazing, right? This prayer is not a formula. It's a format. In fact, you probably, I feel like you want to say that with me, don't you? You want to say that. It's not a formula, it's a format. Let's try it one more time. It's not a formula, it's a format. Okay, let's keep, just keep that in mind, all right? It's, it's very human, though, for, uh, for us to, to gravitate, to gradually move towards things that are simple and easy. So we try to create formulas. We do this. This is, our, this is, this is what we do. If, if we, if you, if you know this, if you've ever been in a worship service and the worship was amazing and you were a part of putting that service on, the, the, the urge comes up next week to do exactly the same thing. Let's play those same songs. Let's have those same people play. Let's do, let's do all the same things because we want to formulize anything good. But Jesus is asking us to take a step back and do a, and, and instead approach this a different way, not as a formula, but as a, as a format. That's right. <clears throat> And here's why. Because even though we gravitate towards things that are simple and easy, in the end, this is true, relationships are neither simple nor easy. Right? Anyone who's in any kind of human relationship will tell you that. I'm, I'm married, and I've been married for 20 years. And for 20 years, about three times a week, my wife and I have a conversation that sounds something like this. This is me. This is my part. Hey, babe, what are you thinking about for dinner tonight? And she says, I don't know, what, do, what would you like? And I say, we could do tacos. No, we just had tacos last, last night. No, that's true. I could make a pizza. Oh, you said you were going to do that this weekend. That's an excellent point, babe. Uh, how about hamburgers? Too heavy. <laughs> how about Italian? That's even heavier. You're right. It's silly to bring it up. That's crazy. How about just some uh, nice grilled chicken over a light salad? I don't know, I'm not in the mood for that. Well, what would you like? I don't know, why don't you just pick, is what she says. <laughs> why don't you just pick? Yeah, relationships are neither simple nor easy. I'm here to tell you. And in the end, this is what Jesus is leading us into, is not a, not a formula, but a format that builds relationship with our Heavenly Father. 
In fact, Jesus, his way is leading us closer to be one with the Father. That's how he describes it. We know this because he actually prayed this for us. Did you know that Jesus prayed for you? He prayed for you. And the Apostle John heard that prayer and wrote it down so that we would know it. And he, he wrote it in John chapter 17, verse 21. This is Jesus praying. He says, I don't ask on behalf of these alone. He's talking about his friends that were present. But check this out. For those who also believe in me through their word, that's us. If you believe in Jesus, you believe in Jesus because of the word of the people that were standing there hearing this prayer. That they may all be one. This is his prayer for us. That, that we may all be one. Okay? That we may all be one. As you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. So that's a, that's a complicated prayer there, but it's also very simple. It's that we would be one together and then one with our Father. That was Jesus' desire. And so that's what he's leading us in as he leads us to this prayer. So let's get to the prayer. Let's take a look at how Jesus orders his prayer differently. Okay, so do you have, do you have Matthew chapter 6? Okay, let's go to let's go to verse 9. Okay, let's begin with verse 9. Here it is. I'm reading from New King James. I like this translation, but they're all good. Um, and you can read along with me if you like. Starting in verse 9, we're going to read down to verse 13. It's very short. It says, In this manner, therefore, pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. It's a beautiful prayer, isn't it? It's a beautiful prayer. We're, today we're going to look at the significance of starting our prayer the way that Jesus does. So over the next couple weeks, what we're going to do is we're, we're going to slow way down, and, and we're going to go over this prayer line by line, verse by verse. Today we're, we're only focused on the very first line, the very first verse. And remember, it's format, not formula, right? And when you slow down like this and you begin to look at the words of Jesus, what you see is that in this sermon... I'm not sure how many times he rehearsed this sermon before he gave it, or if he wrote it down or just had it memorized in his head. I, I don't know any of those things, but I know this, that the words are so important. He plucked all of these words out and arranged them very specifically for us. And so what we want to do is we don't want to miss a single treasure, so we want to slow down. We're going to, we're going to go uh, line by line over the next few weeks, and in fact today we're going to go literally word by word through the first line, okay? Are you guys ready? Yes. You ready for this? Okay, let's, let's begin. So he says, in fact, before even the first line of the prayer, he says what? He says, in this manner, therefore, pray. In this manner. What does that mean, in this manner? It means, in some way, using some of these ingredients, pray something like this. You see, format, right? Not formula, in this manner, in this general sense, this general flavor of prayer, pray something like this. In this manner. And then he says, therefore. I remember when I was in Bible college, the hermeneutics teacher, he said, whenever you run across a therefore in the Bible, you should look back and see what it's there for. Right? 
Um, this, this, this Greek word that we translate as therefore, uh, its, its literal meaning is consequently, which would be, it's clunky to translate it that, that literally, and so we translate it different ways. Therefore, or if you have another translation other than the New King James, it might say something else, but, but none of them say consequently, even though that's the literal translation of that word. In this manner, consequently, pray. Consequently means as a result of what just came before. So was anyone here the last couple weeks? Anyone here last Sunday or the Sunday before? Um, we were talking about realigning our heart as a posture of generosity, in particular towards, towards the poor and those without, right? And how to pray, not as a way of drawing attention to ourselves, but as a way of communing with our Father. So he's saying, consequently, because you've realigned your heart this way, now pray like this, right? This is prayer as a bridge for relationship versus a formula or a technique. It's not a technique. All right, let's start with the first word of the prayer. It's a surprising word, actually. It's our. The reason it's surprising is because it, it could have said, my, my Father in heaven. What's the difference between my and our? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's inclusive. It's, it's, it, 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 the implication is that we're in the company of someone as we're praying, right? It's, it has a plurality to it, our, our. It's our, you guys, our Father, right? We're in the company of someone. This is prayer as an act of community, prayer together as the family of God. This is something I say all the time. There's no solo version of Christianity. And that could be, you know, you could just put that on a bumper sticker, but, but the, the meaning of it is there's no version of Christianity that we do on our own. It just, it's not part of the design, right? And Jesus is infusing this into our prayer. Our, our Father in heaven. So we're saying this together collectively. This, what about this word Father? You know, this isn't just Jesus reminding us who we're praying to. In fact, he's going to do that in just a second. This is Jesus reminding us who we are in relationship to God. He's our Father. We're his children, we're a part of his family. This is actually pretty wild stuff. When you, if you think about uh, hearing the words of Jesus, let's say you're hearing these for the very first time. You didn't know that there was access to be a part of a family of people that consider God, the creator of the universe, their father. We're only two words in. It's pretty amazing, huh? Our father. We're a part of a family. You know, every uh, Tim uh, talked about this last week. He, did you, if you remember, he was talking about how, you know, if he's... If he's doing something and in the middle of something and he sees that one of his grown children that's moved out of the house already calls, he'll just drop whatever he's doing and pick up the phone, right? This is, every, every father wants to hear from their kids and have right relationship with their children. Um, Jesus gave this parable about this in Luke chapter 11, I think, when he said, now which of you fathers here, if his son asked for a fish, you'd instead give him a snake, Right? I mean, it's a little culturally pertinent. I, I, kids don't ask for fish these days anymore. But in fact, my kids, my boys would probably more likely ask me for a snake. But, uh, 
that's just to get their sister. But, uh, you know, what he's saying is, um, who, who here, if you're a father, would, would just naturally treat your children terribly? How, how much more your father in heaven wants to love you as his children, right? Our father. And speaking of heaven, he says, this is the, this is the next line, next two words. He says, our father in heaven. In heaven. Now, there's a, there's a list of kind of Christian-y words that, um, like this, uh, I'd say pastor is probably one of them. Heaven is one of these. Hell, pro- probably sin. These are words that, that had meaning and have, have grown to have so much weight and baggage and uh, cultural influence attached to these words that now when we say them, it's like, it's anyone's guess what anyone means by these words, right? Because it conjures up immediate pictures and thoughts and things that have nothing to do with uh, the, the original meaning or purpose of these words. When you think of heaven, when I say in heaven, what do you think of? Just off the top of your head, what do you think of? In heaven. What do you? Oh, yeah, clouds. What? what perfect. Yeah. Okay. Does anybody think of like, uh, a, like a golden city? Up in the clouds, yeah. There's probably just some vague, like, harp music kind of going in the background. I'm not sure what harp music even sounds like, but something, you know, you know this kind of thing. Um, angels and stuff, right? Does anyone think of this? There's a big gate. It's somehow made out of a giant pearl. I don't know how that works. If you had a favorite pet when you were a kid, you know, your dog Fido. Fido's there, right? It, you know, Grandma's there. Am I the only one that thinks that stuff? When you hear that word, it, yeah, this is, this is the cultural weight um, and imagery that has been attached to this word. The first century Jews, when they heard this word, this is not what they heard. This, that, that's us. Let's talk about what they heard. They heard the Greek word, auronoi, which means the sky. It meant the sky. Our father in the sky. That's what they heard. Because here's the thing. The, the Bronze Age culture, what they believed, in, and the ancient Hebrews were part of this, this culture, what they believed in their science was that there was a dome around the world. All the world existed inside of a dome. There was no universe, there was no galaxy, no stars, no planet. There was a dome around the, the, the earth, and there was the, the ground. You were down here on the ground, and then there was the sky, and then there was the dome. And what, they, what the Hebrews in particular believed about the, the story in Genesis, about the fall of people, was that at one point God and his presence lived right here on the earth. But when we began to sin and reject him, God retreated up into the sky. And that his presence hovered over the earth instead of on the earth. It's not a place. It's not a location. It's not a shining city. These are things that we've, we've filled in the blanks in our mind and created a picture. Did you ever watch that, um, oh, what was that uh, show about the, uh, the guy from Little House on the Prairie? That, uh, he was Michael Landon. Michael Landon. Yeah, what was his show called? No, Highway to Heaven. Yes, there we go. Highway to Heaven. You ever, you ever see that? And it opens with the cloud, the shot of the clouds, you know, and the camera's panning through, and there's the music. That was me growing up. I just heard that, and I, I filled in that picture. But it's not a place. This is not a place. This is the presence of God. This is wherever God is. It's not a location. It's to be with Him, our Father in heaven. There's His presence hovering over 
the earth. Why does this matter? What, what does it matter? Well, here's why it matters. Because Jesus went around preaching all the time, the kingdom of heaven is coming. The kingdom of heaven is here. He said this all the time. He told his disciples this. He said, this is from John chapter 14. He said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. I just said it's not a place. He just said place. <laughs> but what, he, what he's saying is not a location. In fact, that, those words, house and mansions, are basically the same thing. It's, if you could draw a picture, it would look like this. This is house, and mansions are little places inside of that. It, here's, here's the picture. Here it is. God has, he, he, he has a presence, and his presence is returning to earth. The kingdom of heaven is coming. You know what's coming? It's coming because it's in our hearts now, and it's in the hearts of more and more people as the message of Jesus spreads. The kingdom of heaven is coming. That's the, the person that we're talking to, is the person that's coming and bringing heaven to earth. And he goes on to say, hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. Hallowed is a, is a word of reverence. It means holy, holy, to be set apart, to consecrate, to be different. It's to say that God is not like anything else or anyone else. It's to hold someone in high regard. And what are we holding in high regard? The name. Holy is your name. In fact, we... We treat the names of God so casually now, but the ancient Hebrews, they took this very serious, deadly serious. They, they refused to write it down completely. They would just abbreviate because they, they, they felt that even their pen strokes were unworthy of the name of God. When they, when they spoke the name, it was almost always in the most sacred of spaces and places and times. It's the name Yahweh. Yahweh. Holy is your name, Yahweh. It's a name that sounds like breathing in and breathing out, the breath of God. What Jesus is doing is he's reminding us how to approach a holy God. It's prayer as a bridge for relationship. He's telling us how to have right relationship with a holy God. And here's how we do it. We come before him in humility, in honor, and in worship. That's how we do it. That's how you have right relationship with God. So here's our... My one point for the day that I want to kind of um, kind of uh, use to help us wrap up here is that the way of Jesus brings us back into right relationship with our Father. The way of Jesus brings us back into right relationship with our Father. You know, we have um, the half brother of Jesus to thank for describing both effective and ineffective ways of praying. You know, Jesus had a half-brother that he grew up with. His name was James. He wrote one book in the Bible called James, that's right. And I say half-brother because he was Mary and Joseph's son, and he grew up in the same household as Jesus. And as far as we know, he wasn't a believer or a follower of Jesus during his ministry, which is kind of understandable when you think about it. Like, your brother says he's the Messiah, and you're like, nah. Like, no, I played soccer with that guy. He's not very good. Uh, but after the death and resurrection of Jesus, James became a follower, and he wrote this book, and he talks about effective and ineffective prayer. Check out what he says in James chapter 4. He says this. He says, you ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures because your prayers have become completely about you. That's not relationship. 
That's treating God like an ATM machine, right? I don't know why I went like this. That's not how ATM machines work at all. That's a, what is this? That's a slot machine. There we go. He's not a slot machine or an ATM machine at all. Whew. Neither one. Not a machine. It's a person. He's a person, right? And then in James chapter 5, he, he tells us what effective prayers look like. So he, to, he just told us what ineffective prayer is like. He, here he tells us effective prayer. Check this out. This, by the way, this is, James doesn't hold back. I don't know, have you read the book of James? He's kind of he's rough. Like, he's, he, whew, he's tough. Like, you know, just go in, be, be warned. James doesn't mess around. He says this, confess your trespasses to one another. Whew. Okay, James, you know. Can, the, the worst things about yourself, talk about them with each other. Okay, James. And pray for one another, he said. Well, that's a good thing to do after you said the worst things about yourselves. Pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. You see that righteousness is... When I heard righteousness growing up, when I was a kid, this is another one of those words, right? I, I don't know what you think of. I heard righteousness as a person who does a lot of good stuff a lot of the time. Does good stuff. But righteous means right relationship. You can see how Jesus is walking us through that. Effective prayer looks like beginning with like, hey, I'm, I'm not... I, I got stuff I, I need to tell you about. <laughs> the worst things about myself, let me tell you, and then would you pray with me? And, we'll, and then you're going to share some stuff. I'll pray with you. And, and all of a sudden, relationship begins to happen, right? Because we've done what? What have we done in that scenario? We've taken off our masks, right? That's, that's what places like this are for. We, we consecrate places like this because we come here and we're supposed to take our masks off and share real life with one another that we may be healed. Who wants to be healed from the junk, Right? That's what right relationship looks like. And, that, and out of that comes effective prayer, effective relationship with our Father. You know, an effective, effective prayers flow from right relationship when we realize the love of the Father for us. He's a perfect Father. You, all of us have earthly fathers. Probably most of them were not perfect. I'd say all of them were not perfect, but some of them are far from perfect. And what God wants to do here is is contrast himself and say, I know what you went through is not perfect. In fact, in many cases, far from it. But I want you to be able to, to see what a perfect father looks like. So this is Jesus showing us. When we realize the love of a perfect father and we reveal or revere the holiness of his name, that's the hallowed part, right? When we revere his name, when we acknowledge his sovereignty over all creation, and then we remember the family that he's given us. Our Father, our Father. We have a family. We're interconnected. What happens when we come to God in right relationship and reverence because of a revelation of who he is? What happens? Well, it looks a lot like worship. And no longer does it look like us just approaching an ATM machine or a slot machine, right? It looks like worship of a person. We hope this message encouraged you to take the next steps in your relationship with God. The cool thing is that you don't have to do it alone. There are a lot of ways you can get connected here at Hope. Not only do we want you to feel at home at Hope, 
we'd love to help you find out. Please check out discoverhope.church and click connect or just email us at info at discoverhope.church. Lastly, we give everything we can away for free and rely 100% on volunteers and donations to support this ministry. If you'd like to give to the Mission of Hope Church, you can select the Give option on our website or text any amount to 831-800-2060. Thanks again for tuning in.